we come this morning asking you for grace as we turn attention and affection to your word. We ask that you would send your spirit, Lord, as you promised to do. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would make much of Jesus, which you promised you would, that you would um, give us, as we see in this text, both the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. May we walk in those two um, virtues all of our days. So would you come? Would you comfort us by your word? Would you bring us instruction and encouragement, rebuke if necessary, um, in order that we might be made more like Jesus. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. Um, so we, on occasion, you parents know this um, idea that when I want to, we're at the dinner table, let's say, and I want to ask Gracie if like maybe perhaps there's some leftover cake or leftover brownies or something like that, and so I'll say, Hey, Gracie, and I'll kind of pop my eyebrows and I'll say, um, C-A-K-E, right? Now, our oldest three, no matter how fast I spell it, they pick up on it. Our younger two don't, and it's it's cool because, like, the oldest three, if they hear me say cake and, and the answer is no, like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, no, there's no cake, no, there's no ice cream, they're going to deal with it, okay? They're going to be okay. The littles, not so much. They're going to they're gonna lose it. So today, like this morning, I might look out and say, N-O, we are not T-A-K-I-N-G-H-O-M-E, the P-U-P-P-Y that keeps coming into this building. You follow me? Uh, no. No, no, no. Um, okay, so that's a, that's a consistent thing in the Martin home, spelling out um, things. So what's also consistent, the other day... <laughs> um, I was sitting by Lucy. I was sitting in my comfy chair, the chair that like is so comfy you never want to leave that chair. So I'm sitting there, and Lucy comes up, and she kind of pops her eyebrows at me, and she leans in, and she says, Daddy, would you A, B, C, D, F, E, Y? <laughs> now, that's a problem, because I don't know how that spells, right? <clears throat> and so I'm like, I would love to, sweet. Would you tell me what you mean? And she meant, would you take me out in the front yard and play, right? So, pop quiz, what is that? What is Lucy doing? She is doing what's called imitation. She's just seeing people that she knows, loves, trusts, doing certain things. You guys just put some random string of letters together and out comes the cake, so I'm gonna try too. Um, and it doesn't matter what the letters mean. She's just imitating as best she can. Now, <clears throat> we have an eternal destiny. I'm not sure if you know this, but um, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For um, he predestined us um, in order that we might be uh, conformed. It's coming to me. I wasn't planning on quoting this text. Uh, in order that we might be conformed into the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It, the, the big idea there is you've been predestined to conformity to the image of Jesus if you're a believer. That is where you're going. And so the way you get there is like any other thing that you learn how to do, you learn by imitation. You become like Christ through imitation. Now, where do we imitate? Who do we imitate? What do we imitate? Well, we can look at Christ in the scriptures and imitate him. 
Um, but there's also um, an intention that we would look at one another, that we would look at brothers and sisters in Christ in whom we see Christ. Not that they're going to be perfect, but in this way, this person imitates Christ. And so that way I'm going to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Y'all follow me? We have a really cool text in front of us where we get to imitate several different, um, at least a couple different people. We get to see what the Apostle Paul is like. We get to see what is probably one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. We get to see what Barnabas is like. Um, pop quiz, Bible theologians. What is Barnabas's real name? Do you know? It's Joseph. <clears throat> Barnabas is his name of Nick. It's his nickname. And it means son of encouragement. So we get to watch Barnabas. So that's kind of the, um, the lens that I want to look at this with you is how to imitate uh, some of what Paul does, some of what Barnabas does, and then some of what the church does in their day. Okay, so the first thing I want to show you is starting in verse 23, if you write in your Bibles, write out the word suffering. <clears throat> write out the word suffering. Do you guys remember when the what Jesus said to Saul when he was on the road to Damascus? Actually, it's not what he said to Saul. It's what he said to Ananias. Listen to Jesus talking to Ananias about to send him to go help Paul get saved. He says, Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, very ominous calling. Tell me, brother, how has the Lord called you? What's the calling that he's placed upon your life? Well, he said, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How many of you guys heard that at your conversion and said, sign me up? Yes, I want to follow that Christ who has laid out for me suffering. Well, that's what Paul has laid out for the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see, we're going to see this. Okay, so he's just become a Christian. Immediately he starts preaching. And then we see in verse 23, when many days had passed. If you write in your Bible, write three years. This is, if you, if you read uh, Paul's testimony in the book of Galatians, he talks about getting saved and then going away to Arabia, where he received revelation from the Lord Jesus himself, from his mouth, about the gospel. And so after many days, after, uh, when many days had passed, that's the three years of Paul's training, he's now back in Damascus. And the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay? But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So it's repeated twice. They want this guy dead. But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Okay, so he's had three years of ministry, uh, ministry training, which, by the way, this is a really great word. Uh, when we see the Apostle Paul, we see him as a young guy who's rising among his peers Everybody's looking to him for leadership. He's got letters from the people that matter. Everybody's looking to him to fix problems. And then God saves him and then puts him on a shelf for three years. Be silent, learn, do nothing for three years. Your, your job is training. Um, I fancy that was probably pretty hard for Paul to sit under. Three years, even though it was the Lord teaching him. So three years, you hear this plot to kill him. 
which becomes a pattern for us. Let me ask you something. What would you do, Christian, if you heard of a plot that somebody was coming for your life because you were a Christian? Would you stand firm and say, let them come, willing to die, ready to die? Or would you get in a basket? Russ pointed out uh, uh, a, a commentary that he had read that said lowering uh, what was commonly lowered in a basket out of the wall was the trash, right? So would you would you go get flushed down the commode? Would you go hide in the trash can in order that you can escape with your life? Question, what's the answer? Do you know? Me neither. Me neither. The idea here is that we see a pattern in Paul that you can't look at somebody and say, hey, they're hiding. Persecution is coming their way because they've named Christ and they want to hide or run or flee or seek safety. They're obviously denying the faith. We can't do that. We can look here and say it is okay for a Christian to be uh, harmless as a dove, wise and crafty as a serpent, that Paul can hide himself. Okay, He can hide himself. Um, so our early Christian brothers and sisters, when Rome was coming after them, they actually uh, carefully teased out how to do martyrdom. And the idea was run if you can. If you can get away, get away. Don't volunteer yourself for uh, the Colosseum. If you get captured, trust the Lord and die. Well, and he'll supply the need. And what they saw repeatedly is stories where one person gets captured and they can't get away. And so other Christians say, well, I will die with them. And they come to join them voluntarily. And almost always the volunteers renege. The volunteers denied Christ in the presence of suffering. Those that could do nothing else, those that tried to get away but couldn't were arrested, they tended to hold fast. Okay? So, we have a pattern here. Just want to... Um, not that this is uh, foreboding or prophecy, but in the event that anybody ever comes to you because you worship Christ, don't think it's weakness to hide or to run or to flee. Um, last thing I want to say about this text, just by the way. Um, where have we seen a son of Benjamin named Saul... And we've seen some Jewish people after a king, and that king gets let down of a wall, let down out of a wall. This is Old Testament story, David and Saul, where David is coming after Saul. Saul, or, or, where Saul, excuse me, is coming after David. David has to hide. Michael lets him down out of a wall, and he escapes her hand, yeah, his hand. Okay, so there's this uh, there's this pattern of Israel again, once again, Israel rejecting the leaders that are supposed to do them good. Saul is trying to do Israel good. He's convincing them about their Savior, the only Savior that they have, the one who, if they deny him, they will not be saved. And he's pointing them to him, and they reject, and they want to kill him. So you see suffering. If you're writing your Bibles beside verse 26, write the word doubt. Write the word doubt. Um, let me ask you something. Has your sketchy past ever made it hard for you to relate to your brothers and sisters? Right? That, that you have, you know, the skeletons in your closet or maybe more recent, they're bodies that haven't yet decomposed and they're in your closet. Uh, and, and so when you're coming into the body, it makes it hard sometimes to fellowship. So watch, watch what happens to Paul. 
when he had come to Jerusalem, so he escapes. Now watch this, right? Uh, stressful or peaceful, easy feeling when you're in a situation where you have to sneak out of a city so that you do not die. Fancy that's pretty high stress uh, day. And so what does he do? What does Paul do? We might ask, like, what could he have done? He was safe in Arabia for three years. Maybe I'll just go back to Arabia, become a monk. What does Paul do when he's hurting, when he's afraid, when he's stressed? He goes to Jerusalem to, to fellowship with his brothers. He leans into the body of Christ. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Notice, attempted. He attempted to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, um, can you think with me for a moment about the soul-crushing loneliness of a brotherless existence, about when you need the body of Christ, and whether for good or ill, can you understand where they're coming from? Right? I can totally understand where they're coming from. I'm not sure about this guy. Is he a spy? Is he legit? We don't know. If he's legit, we want him. If he's a spy, we don't. So we're just kind of in limbo. But what that puts, where that puts Paul is in this absolutely terrible um, scenario. Can I tell you something about the Apostle Paul? We tend to think of him as this guy who can never be defeated. Courageous. Um, he will go into anywhere and he will do anything for the sake of the name of Jesus. Can I, can I read you a bit of his biography? Excuse me, his autobiography? Let me read this to you. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, talking about the need of the brothers. He said, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me and the Lord, pause for a moment, you're not here. But think about that. He went to Troas, a city named Troas, and he went there to preach the, preach the gospel. This is why I'm going. And he tells us, there was a door open for me and the Lord. So God himself opens the door and says, Paul, go preach. Now, what do you think Paul is going to do? Obviously, our expectation He's going to do here what he did everywhere when God opened the door. He's going to go and declare the grace of God, the work of God in Christ Jesus. So he's there to preach the good news. A door was opened for me in the Lord. He says, but my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Paul, would you preach the gospel? We know you've come to tell us about Christ. Here's a spot. Would you tell us? And he looks around for Titus and says, my brother's not here. I'm, I'm out of here. Such is the necessity of the, of the fellowship of Christ with one another. That it's not, I just want to point this out to you. It's not enough for the Apostle Paul in certain times to just be him and Jesus. It's not enough for you in your life, me in my life, to just be me and Jesus. We need our brothers. We need our sisters. So this is in Paul, to long, just like it's in you, just like it's in me, to long for our brothers. He's in an extremely stressful situation. He comes to the center of where the church is gathering, and they won't have it. They won't have it. It's an amazing thing. Okay, I will say as well... For those of you who may not have ever been uh, 
visibly rejected by the church because of your sketchy past. Some of you know the feeling of being lonely in a crowd, right? Um, God, let me say it this way. God made you to be known and loved both. Okay? So some of, some of us are known and not loved, and that crushes the soul, right? What, what if I knew your stuff and didn't love you? That would be, terif- that would be terrible. There's another terribleness, though, and that's to be loved and not known, right? To go in among people who love you, they'll hug you, they'll do anything for you. At the back of your mind, you know, if they knew my past, they'd walk. If they knew my past, they would give up on me. Um, There is a possibility of being lonely in a crowd. So what do you do there? What should you do there when you, like Paul, need the body of Christ and whether it's you are known but not loved or loved but not known, what do you do? Okay, briefly, known and not loved. You need to serve and lean in anyway. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul's testimony. Is he loved and not known or known and not loved? Well, he's known and not loved. They know that he's, a, they know that he's been killing Christians. They know that he has been persecuting Christians. So he is known and therefore not loved. So what does he do? He serves and he leans into the body and he waits for a man named Barnabas. Okay, so if this is you, if you're known but not loved, if you have such a sketchy past that we cannot know you, which I guess I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you wouldn't be here if we knew you and didn't love you and told you to get out of here, you rascal. Um, But if that ever happens to you, And it might happen to you. And it might happen to me. We serve the Lord and we lean in anyway. But what about those of us who are loved but not known? Everybody thinks everything is great. We love this guy. But this guy knows they don't know who I am. What do you do? Well, you get known. And you get known quickly before you get exposed. Can I tell you a story? I um, We went to... I went when I was in college. I went to a um, uh, sort of a week-long series of talks uh, called entitled "The Power of Porn." This guy, he was a Christian. Um, we heard of it in the church that he was coming to uh, to talk about the dangers of pornography, of sexual sin, and then preach the gospel to a bunch of pagan college kids. All of which showed up saying, "Oh, the power of porn! Like I'm in." Are we going to watch it together? This would be great. That's why everybody showed. That's why the fire marshal literally had to come in and say, no more people. Because everybody wants in. Okay, so he starts talking about statistics and all these things. And then he shares his story, his personal testimony. And I'll spare you the long details. But he got into pornography when he was a very little kid. He got addicted. And he shared with us how, just like everything else, pornography has the power of... Um, diminishing returns. What delights you here will not delight you tomorrow. So you need something a little more, a little different. And he talked about a consistent struggle. Mean, meanwhile, a, um, a member of his church, a member of all sorts of things, a boss loved by his wife, loved by his kids, loved by everybody, but he's addicted to these things and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And he said one day, you guys remember Blockbuster? Of course you do. He was going to a blockbuster to get a movie. 
no plans other than to get a movie, to have family movie night. And he said he saw a woman walking by and something clicked in his brain. She is finally going to bring you the happiness you're seeking. So he follows her to her car. He got in her car and he said he had this awful, like almost waking up from a dream. He had her by the throat and she has this terror stricken face, right? As anybody would. And he, and he comes to, and he's got a stranger by the throat. And he lets her go and says, I'm so sorry, I've made a terrible mistake. And he runs. Well, she saw his license plate. He gets exposed. He lost his wife. He lost his family. He lost his church. He lost everything. And he goes to prison for, I think, a pretty long time. He said when he got out of prison, um, everybody had walked on him. He didn't have a single friend. Parents walked. Siblings walked. Spouse walked. Everybody. He is completely alone. And he said a guy from his high school called him and said, hey, I heard that you just got released. Would you come see me? And he said, I knew this guy was a pastor. And he said as he drove over there, he was telling himself, like, I'm not going to share anything with this guy. We're just going to howdy. You know, we're going to keep it at arm's distance. We're not going to talk about anything significant. He said he walks in. He, said, he sits down. And he said not in a, not in a casual flyby way, but his old high school buddy, Acquaintance looks at him and he said, how are you? Tell me how you are. I want to know how you are. And he said, he just bombed on him. Everything. All of, all of the brokenness in his soul, all of the loneliness there, everything that he had ever done, how he landed where he was. And he said it was a one-way dump of his history. And he said when, it, when he got done, he was expecting to be attacked. The, he said his buddy got up and walked around the desk, and he said he stood up too. He said, I got up, and I kind of was like defense mode. Is this guy going to punch me? What is he going to do? And he said his old high school buddy acquaintance uh, came over to him, and he said he wrapped his arms around him, and he, and he hugged him, and he said, I, I began to feel tears on my neck. And this guy said, I'm so sorry that nobody's ever loved you. I'm so sorry that nobody's ever loved you. Because here's the thing, all, all through the time when he wasn't known, he may have been liked, but he wasn't loved. Nobody knew, nobody knew who he was. So the exhortation there, um, if, you, if you are loved but not known, get known uh, before you get exposed, right? Um, get known. So. You see in Paul, you see his suffering, you see the doubt of the body of Christ as they as they look at this guy. Um, now, here comes encouragement. Here comes his encouragement. Right out beside verse 27, uh, the word encouragement. Or you could just circle Barnabas. That's what his name means after all. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. Very important phrase. He had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Um, one of my favorite pastors was talking to a group of pastors one time. And he said, watch out that you don't get discouraged. And he broke he broke it up like, he broke that word up like that. That you don't get dis 
encouraged, right? One of the things that the church needs is courageous men to preach boldly the gospel. This is what Paul asked the Corinthian or the Colossians, I think, to pray for him. Pray for boldness, for an open door and for boldness to declare the gospel as we ought. He comes into the church and they, ha- they want to have nothing to do with him. And he is in very grave danger of being discouraged, of losing heart. Courage means having heart to persevere, having co- the courage to do the right thing. He's in danger of losing heart, of losing his confidence, of losing his enthusiasm. And listen, there's just nothing that is more discouraging than friendly fire. You know what I mean? It's one thing if Satan is on your case and the unbelievers are trying to kill you. That's one thing. But to have those within who are supposed to be like shoulder to shoulder with you or if you're wounded, stand behind me, I'll protect you. Like so you've got a team. Like it's my team. I'm on this team. There's nothing more disheartening than when you show up and they say, we're not sure you're on our team. We don't, we don't really want you on our team. Paul is in desperate a desperate danger of losing his courage. And so Barnabas comes. And I want you to know this. Barnabas reminds both parties of the intention of Christ. That's that's the job of a Barnabas, of an encourager, is to lay hand on the estranged party and to lay hands on those who do not believe and to remind both parties of what Christ has said. Watch this. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So he doesn't take Paul in and say, hey, Paul, just tell them your testimony and they'll understand. He doesn't do that. He says, I will tell your testimony on your behalf. And he says, he, uh, Barnabas tells them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how in Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus, and so he went in and out among them. Okay, So he reminds both parties of the most important fact about Paul. Pop quiz. What is the most important fact about Paul? It's what Christ has said to him, what Christ has said about him. It's not his past. It's not his present. It's not his future. It's not, is he going to be faithful? Is he going to fall? What's the most important thing about Paul? It's what Christ has said to him, that Christ spoke to him. Paul needs to be reminded of that. The apostles need to be reminded of that. Now, I want you to watch the effect of what encouragement will do to a brother. When the church doesn't want to associate with Paul, he's in danger of being discouraged. Barnabas comes, lay hands, brings him together, reminds them both what Jesus has said about him, and this is the effect. So, Paul went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Okay, so he is boldly preaching yet again. This is the effect of encouragement. Okay, last, last thing. Um, beside, beside verse 29, I want you to write the word story. I don't know if it's a good uh, identification, but let me explain what I mean by the word story. Um, do you remember when Jesus was risen from the dead and he's walking with Peter and he's telling Peter that he's going to die, that Peter's going to die for the sake of Christ. Do you remember how Peter responded to Jesus? Do you remember how he didn't say, Lord, your will be done. I'm ready to die for you. Do you remember what he said? This, this apostle who said, I will never deny you. 
Jesus says, somebody's going to take you. They're going to clothe you and they're going to take you where you don't want to go and they're going to stretch out your hands. And Peter's response is to look behind and he sees who I think is John and he says, what about him? Is he going to die too? Am I the only one? So Peter is caught up not in who uh, Christ intends for him to be, but he wants to, to have this comparison game. What about that guy? Why can't I have their lot? What, what, why, why is there such a difference? Well, I want you to watch what happens. So, so I had you write the word story because the point that I want to make to you is that God is the sovereign of the story and you can be any character that he wants you to be. Okay? You can be the ultra hero or you can be the ultra hero psychic and that's totally fine. You can be any part. He has the freedom to write the story as he sees fit. Watch what happens. So Paul spoke and disputed among the Hellenists. And they were seeking to kill him. Notice, they're not seeking to kill Peter or John or any of the other apostles. They want to kill Paul. How fair is that? When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I love that. That they don't tell him to stop, but they tell him to leave. And so he goes into Tarsus to do the very same thing. Then in verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria had peace. It was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Okay, three things I want to say to you about these last verses. The first is really that um, we could preach an entire sermon or a few on, the, on these verses in, 31, uh, in verse 31. The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Okay, so a bunch there. So I'm just going to say uh, three things. I'm going to dwell on the last one. The first thing um, is that the only thing that we're lacking here when he says all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, when, when Luke tells us that the church in these areas is flourishing, the only thing that we're lacking is the Gentiles. And the, the story of how the Gentiles come to know Christ is coming in the next chapter, in chapter 10. So Peter is going to come on the scene for one other chapter, and then he's going to disappear virtually altogether in the book of Acts. So the only thing we're lacking from Acts chapter 1, when Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the outermost reaches of the earth, the only thing we're lacking is the outermost reaches. Judea, Galilee, Samaria, that church had peace. Okay? That's one. Second, that they were walking in the fear and comfort of, uh, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So if you think about these two things, they seem opposite to us. What does the fear of the Lord have to do with the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Um, I may want to preach an entire sermon on just that idea, but for the time being, think of them as two feet upon which you need to walk. And if you miss one, you're going to be hopping or you're going to fall. That the fear of the Lord, the respect of Almighty God, that we would live out our lives in fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in us both to will and to work His good pleasure. That we would, as we read the other day, that we would be fearful lest we trifle with the things of God. Okay? Walking in the fear of the Lord is an essential thing. And walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That there's not just fear, there is also comfort. There's also welcome. There's also the fact, the continual reminder that Christ has made us away. Okay, 
But the third and last thing I want to call your attention to is this idea of the story that Paul has a difference, or, or God rather, has a different story to tell over Saul than he does over the church. The church there in Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they had peace. They were being built up by God. They're walking in His fear. They're walking in His comfort. And they're multiplying. Meanwhile, where is Saul? He is sent off to Tarsus where he will find nothing but suffering. Okay? Nothing but suffering. So, I want to close by reading you a quote about the differences, the reason God has a different story to tell in your life than He does in mine or that He does in anybody else's. This is George MacDonald. He says, As the fir tree lifts itself with a far different need from the need of the palm tree. So think about this. Two trees stretching themselves up to the sun because they're needy. They need something. But it's a fir and it's a palm and what they need is different. They're both trees. So they're similar, but they're distinct. And they both need and they're lifting up in a different need. He says, so does each man stand before God and lift up a different humanity to the common Father. And for each... For each one of us, God has a different response. With every man, He has a secret. The secret of the new name. In every man, there is a loneliness, an inner chamber of peculiar life into which God only can enter. A chamber into which no brother, nay, no sister can come. I want you to think about this and see if it rings true with your heart and soul that there's a space within you on the soul level that nobody has access to. That only God gets to come in there and only God gets to fellowship with you there. He says, from this it follows that there is a chamber also. O God, humble and accept my speech. That there is a chamber also in God Himself into which none can enter but the one the individual, the peculiar man, out of which, out of that chamber, that man has to bring revelation and strength for his brethren. You have a, you have a uniqueness on the soul level that only God can commune with you there. And God has, you have an access. I don't know how to say this, okay? I'm, uh, I'm skirting on heresy 100%, but it's true what I'm trying to say. So don't press it. But you have a unique way to know God that none of us have. And you have to know Him and bring Him out to the rest of us. It is for the sake of our brethren. This is that for which He was made. To reveal the secret things of the Father. To reveal the secret things of the Father. So, be yourself in Christ. Let others be themselves in Christ, to be willing to be sent off to Tarsus while the church stays back and enjoys peace and security and multiplication. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for having grand story to tell. And thank you that not all of us are playing the same character. Thank you, Lord, for uh, speaking a word over us 
that has the power to undo our past so that that past no longer defines us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the the true and greater Barnabas who would go to estranged parties, who would go to your heavenly Father and lay a hand upon him, who would go to us rebel sinners and lay a hand on us and say to your Father, forgive them. My blood for theirs, my life for theirs. Now forgive them. Lord, thank you for bringing us and reconciling us back, not only to God, but also to one another, tearing down walls between the hearts and minds of men. Jesus, we thank you for being the only one sufficient to do these things in and for us. We thank you. Amen. Yesterday, our country celebrated, I think, the 244th anniversary of these United States from the tyranny of the British crown. Therefore, it might be very difficult for us to come properly to this table of declared dependence. We come to the Lord's Supper to declare the self-evident truth that we, not He, have been in the wrong. That we, not He, we have not upheld our covenant obligations to our king. But what he offers us here is not a break, but a renewal of his kingly reign. What makes the body and blood mysteriously marvelous is that they are the broken body and shed blood of King Jesus. This is a table with one giver, many gifts, and many recipients. And he is glorified by our dependence upon him. So come, declare your dependence upon Christ. Come celebrate his overwhelming goodness towards you. Come bend the knee that gladdens the heart. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you, would you come? Would you take of what is Christ and disclose it to us, Lord? Not so that we may know in our mind, but so that we may know in our experience who Christ is. You would take of His, disclose it to us. Take of His truth, Holy Spirit, explain Take of his gift, Holy Spirit, would you apply it to us? Take of his joy and make it full in us as we eat and drink in remembrance of him. We ask it in his name.